Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the Legends Lounge. I'm Trill Withers, and with me in the lounge today, we have former Notre Dame Fighting Irish. She was an all-star, as well as a two-time champion with the Detroit Shock, and she is a current studio analyst, uh, slash some of everything from what I'm (laughs) understanding uh, with the Miami Heat. We have Ruth Riley Hunter with us. Ruth, thank you so much for stopping by the lounge. Hi, it's great to be on. Of course, of course. First things first, I always like to ask people, what was your welcome to the league moment? Welcome to the league. Wow, you're taking me back here. Um, You know, a a few things. Uh, For the WBA, it's unique, right? Because we're finishing up finals as we're starting training camp. And so I just remember Mm -hmm. that, you know, like leaving us, you know, all my, my friends were finishing up their finals and heading into senior week. And I was heading to two a days down here right. <laughs> in Miami. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but um, I think on the court, it was probably the first time uh, starting playing against Lisa Leslie, you mm-hmm. know, the best to ever play in my position. And as a rookie coming in and remembering what that moment was like and what that challenge was like and how different that was than what I experienced on a collegiate level. Mm. Did she, uh, if you remember the game, did she hurt you too bad? Like you, you guys first meeting? Yeah. I mean, look, she's, she's one of the best to ever play. So I, I, I do remember being humbled. Um, and you know, in college too, I mean, post play is so different back to the basket. Right. It's, it's different even now than when, when I was a, a collegiate player and and once you got to the pros i mean just they're so skilled and right. facing up and navigating through double teams and um i just remember wow i have a lot to learn <laughs> <laughs> so when would you say you felt like you first belonged like maybe things are first starting to click or slow down for you i think once i busted into the starting lineup that gave me the confidence to feel like okay um I know I was a high draft pick. Uh, I know that I came off a you know, national championship and collegiate player of the year. And and none of that really matters on the next level. You really have to prove yourself all over again. And I was very fortunate to be drafted to Miami to play for Ron Rostein, who is, you know, a legendary coach. Um, uh, not only the original Heat coach here in Miami, but so many assistant coaching since in the NBA. So he brought just a wealth of knowledge. So really taught me the game on a professional level. And and I feel like once he felt confident to put me in that starting five, um, you know, that that was the first step that I felt like I was I I really belonged. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, We'll we'll go back even a little bit further, not too much further. Uh, You were raised in Indiana, correct? Yes. Okay. I ask this with all due respect. When was the first time you heard on the court that white girl can play? Because I know you've heard. <laughs> um, you know what? I, I it was more of just I was the only girl playing. <laughs> you really? know, like 
Uh, I mean, growing up, I just I was a girl with all the all the guys, and you knew when the pickup games were. You know, every Sunday they were in this gym, every Wednesday they were in that gym, mm-hmm. um, and so I was fortunate to have older male cousins that kind of brought me along, and then I had to learn how to hold my own. Um, right. Uh, but growing up in Indiana, I mean, everyone has a hoop, right? On every right. barn, every light post, anything that's that's ten feet tall, you're gonna throw a a basket up there. And right. um, I mean, that it's a difference. It's really different when you when you see basketball in the state of Indiana. And I'll say this too: like my high school, even our elementary school has two gyms. And in high school, I mean, some of the gyms I played in, our our auxiliary gym was better than our gyms I played in overseas. You know, like, like it's a different level of of hardwood and hoops in Indiana. Definitely. So you went to Notre Dame, uh, as I mentioned, but like you grew up in Indiana. I I imagine that wasn't too hard of a sale. Yeah. I, I mean, growing up, you hear a lot more about in basketball. You heard a lot more about IU, Bobby Knight. You right. heard about Purdue. You have so many. Um, I think of you know kids that I went to school with. Their parents went to one of those two schools. Not many of my peers' parents went to Notre Dame, and, and so while there was a lot of love for Notre Dame football, um, I think you know most of the state schools were kind of where people's allegiances lied for for basketball, but. Uh, once I started the recruiting process, I mean, Notre Dame was really like like it for me. I knew right away that's exactly where I wanted to be. What was it about? Because like they were looking back, you know, it's always been Notre Dame, but they weren't, you know, two time champion Notre Dame when you went there. Hall of Famer or future Hall of Famer Muffet McGraw wasn't future Hall of Famer Muffet McGraw yet. So what what was it that got you there? You know, it was a few things. I knew I wanted to go to a smaller school. I've never, you know, I grew up in the country. There's 82 kids in my class. Uh, I knew that I didn't want to go to a large state school. I wanted to go to somewhere where I was a part of building something. And Notre Dame um, was on the rise the year, my senior year after I committed. They they got to the final four that year for the first time. Uh, and, you know, academics is something that's was ingrained in me at a very young age and I wanted to go to some school that was like strong in academics strong in athletics but faith is something very important to me as well so that intersection of of community of of doing good in our world uh and of pursuing excellence in all that we do uh Notre Dame checked all those boxes so it sounds like it was a a short recruiting process (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I didn't really take any other official visits. I mean, I was really shy too. So the thought of like going, I mean, Branching the recruiting out, process yeah. was painful. <laughs> so that, yeah. yeah, I was, I was good. Okay. So you get to Notre Dame four years there, you know, all Americans player of the year, defensive player of the year, the championship of all the, the accolades, all the memories, what stands out? Like what, what, what do you think about the most? Like even now? You know, I mean, it, it really is hard to top winning a national championship and to to walk off the court the last time I wore a jersey that said Notre Dame uh, and to know that my last collegiate game ever right. <laughs> was winning a national championship for a school that I loved uh, in front of my family and friends, uh, for a student body that supported us in a way that women's basketball was just starting to get supported. You know, like, and their first uh, women's first championship. So 
you like that that's on the resume forever yes yeah the first time hanging that banner um and so uh, that was definitely something special definitely so after that you were top five pick uh you got to the miami soul as i mentioned what was that like just culturally for you as you mentioned you grew up in indiana all your life shy personality and now you're in miami so what what was that like that transition it was unique <laughs> I mean, in what I way from, <laughs> south bend to south beach right? yeah like that's, that's that's quite the transition uh that's for most people that's a one-way ticket too i mean you're 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 not coming back no um, you know i i i think i was very fortunate even though i i grew up uh in a very kind of sheltered childhood i i would say um, lack of diversity in some sense in Indiana. My mom raised me to be incredibly open-minded and mm. to embrace seeing the world, what the world had to offer. She traveled a lot before she she had us. And so I think that I was excited at that point. I, I felt You're like I was ready. Yeah. Mm. Or just curious. I, I think curiosity is, is something, you know, I talk to young girls a lot about. Like so being curious about the world around you is a tremendous asset. And so... And you're just excited. I mean, it really didn't matter at that point, right? Whoever right. is drafting you and giving you an opportunity to live out your dream, you you just can't wait to get there. It just doesn't hurt when it's in. <laughs> yes, and that never. Well, hurts. I'm still here, so yeah, there worked out well. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> now you get there, you come off the bench early. I met. Was that the first time in your life you'd ever come off the bench? First time since junior high. Yeah, let's say for, first time in a while. Maybe. Yes. Uh, what was that like for you? You know, I I think, um, you know, it was different uh, in the sense, but I knew, you know, I think I have a pretty honest assessment of of who I am as a person and the, as a player. And so I didn't come in thinking that I, anything was going to be handed to me. I, I, I've always earned everything through my work ethic and devotion to the game. And so I, I didn't expect that to be any different when I got to the pros, but it's humbling. It's a start over Definitely. to be at the top of your game and to start all over and to look, look up and to realize you have a lot to learn right. <laughs> and all over again. Right. Um, so that was, that was definitely humbling. Yeah. So you're by the end of the year, like you mentioned, you finally, you got into the starting lineup, but then going, if I have a correct going into year two, you get injured. What was the, what was, was that your first time being injured? Like seriously injured? Yeah, I mean, the ton of ankle sprains and the normal right. injuries, but the first time, and the W season's so short. Right. So any injury during the WBA season like just a couple weeks is just, yeah. Yeah, it's like a fourth of the season right there. Right. And so I, I had spent the entire off season training. I felt good. I, I worked out here with our coaches, you know, felt like I was primed to, to really take that next step. And, you know, as most athletes, experience injury i mean it's adversity that you have to overcome physically and and mentally hmm. did you find what did you think was hard, like the physical part or the mental part i feel like i've heard athletes say both i think not being able to play you know is, right. is hard not being able to be out there on the floor um and to help your team and to be a part of what's going on i think is the hardest part for me right right now after the after year two they have the dispersal draft because the Miami Soul, uh, Miami Soul folded. What do you remember about just that entire process? That was crazy. Uh, I, yeah. I, remember... <laughs> I bet. 
I mean, I, I remember finding out in the off season, I was playing in Spain, I think at the time, and just for the first time, it, it didn't cross my mind that. Yeah, did you have like any idea? Yeah, that... Nothing. Wow. No. You know, so like that, I think that in some way is really what propelled me to take a leadership position in our players union and to really understand the business side of our sport to understand right. for the first time that there's no guarantees that we as right. players have to be active participants in growing this league. Um, that even though, you know, this organization treated us incredibly well and, mm -hmm. you know, was here for two years, there's a reason why that didn't work out for them at that time. And right. so I think that opened my eyes and really allowed me from early on in my career uh, to understand uh, how our league is structured, our contracts, uh, you know, the business side, how do we get more fans in the stands? How do we get marketing deals that are sustainable? Like all those things that you really wouldn't normally think about as a player. Right. So you get to go from Miami to Detroit. How, I mean, leaving warm weather for Midwest, how, what was going through your mind then? Was it good to get back to home or you got like, I kind of got accustomed to these 80 degree, 80 degree December days. Well, the beauty of it is the W is just during the summer, right? So Detroit oh, in the summer is actually not a bad place true. to be. That's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you're going um, by winter, then. Yes. Yeah. So that's fair. But uh, I was, you know, like I was really fortunate. I mean, obviously that first year in Detroit, we won one of our, one of our first championships and, mm -hmm. um, and to go to a place where I can really just took tremendous growth in my game um, to play with amazing um, women who, you know, just you love taking the floor with. And so sometimes it's just fit, right, in, in this league. And you got to find the right situation, the right coaching staff that sees and believes in you and that mix of players that bring out the potential in each other. And so uh, I loved, loved my years in Detroit. So recently we talked to uh, one of your old assistant coaches. We talked to Rick Mahorn. Uh, so oh, what, no. <laughs> what, what, uh, what do you remember about uh, Coach Mahorn? Well, I mean, it's unique to get coached by the bad boys, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, Bill and Rick obviously have a ton of history together. I mean, their, their relationship is unique in itself. So uh, I think that Rick balances out. Uh, bill in a way that's much needed <laughs> um <laughs> that makes uh, but, sense but it's also kind of terrifying that rick mahorn is the one that that's doing the balancing this is true yes <laughs> um the, a lot of stories from from those two but i think what you also pull is just their experience they, they treated us they knew what professional basketball was and for a league that was just starting to understand the difference between women's collegiate basketball and what professional basketball could and should be yeah. on the women's side you needed men to win to really bring over their experience uh and yeah. you know kudos to to coach ron to to rick to bill to you know to see beyond gender and just to to see the game itself uh and to, to be able to relay their experiences to us and allow us to be the best that we could be and um, you know, there's a handful of other other men who who have done that as well. For sure. What, what would you say like the biggest transition you mentioned? You know, the game just getting used to like the collegiate uh, collegiate game to the pro level. Those transitions. What would you say was the I guess the biggest one, or maybe even the toughest one for you? 
Well, I think there's a few things. I mean, just the physicality itself, um, the skill level. Obviously, you go against the playing against the best 20 to 21 year olds, and now you're playing against the best women in the world. Right. <laughs> like, grown that's women, a jump. right. <laughs> But for me, the, just the evolution of my game, you know, when I got to Detroit, Bill played me a little bit as his position in kind of that old Detroit offense, more of a face-up facilitator, which is a role that I never played uh, in college. And so, you know, it was stereotypical back-to-the-basket post player. And so just learning how to see the game different, how to read the game different, you know, a lot more pick and roll actions or off ball sets that you just don't run in a collegiate offense as well. Hmm. Did you prefer that side of it? Like going or were you still like, ah, like at my core, I still back to the basket. Yeah. I, I love to learn. Uh, I think, you know, even now just watching skill development, like watching our guys put in the work and what hmm. they're working on and how that plays out and how that changes the dynamic of, of the game and their ability to create an advantage. And then how do you defend that? You know, right. I, I just love all of those pieces coming together. So as a player, as much as I can learn and add to my skill set, I, I always embrace that opportunity. Hmm. Now, earlier you mentioned uh, you played in Spain. You've played also like the WBL. You yeah. played in the WNBA offseason. Uh, you played a couple seasons with the Colorado Chill. What do you remember about that experience? You know, it was unique. Uh, at the time, I my priority was to be available for USA Basketball, to be available mm. in their training sessions. And that's hard to do if you're overseas and right. you know, a lot of overseas teams aren't going to give you those outs in your contract. So um, thankfully, there was a, a very small and not high-budget league going on here in the States. <laughs> um but I also played in Colorado. It was a great situation. I played with Becky Hammond and a lot of the Colorado State and Colorado former players. And so it felt in some ways like a, a collegiate setting again, you know, just pretty laid back. They didn't have the same pressure. You just right. kind of go out there and and get your reps in in the offseason. And you got to work on things, aspects of your game and maybe a less pressured environment too. And had the opportunity to stay here in the States and continue to train, which, which was my – you know, my ultimate goal. Right. Uh, you talk about getting that call from the Olympics, uh, which you did for the 04 Olympics. What what was it like getting that call, I guess? That's one of the most memorable calls I've ever received. And who calls? Who like talk us through, like the whole <laughs> process? You know, I mean, uh Carol Cowan is a was a head of um USA basketball for the longest time. She just retired this year. And so she she was the one that, you know, called and I just, you know, I, I can see it now. I was in Detroit. I was in the hallway uh, of the palace and I got the call and just, you know, my dream as a little girl was to play in the Olympics before the WNBA, before I even thought about even uh, competing in college. Um, you know, that was the dream that I had. And, and so just that realization that I have now had the opportunity to live that out. Um, and there's no greater honor than representing your country. Hmm. And you get to do it with uh, Swing Cash, who was your teammate at the time, but also uh, the aforementioned Lisa Leslie, who I get, welcomed you to the league, I should say. So what was it like going, you know, from in a couple of years now, your peers, like y'all are side to side overseas representing the country. What was that like? You know, I, I share this story a lot when I talk with young athletes because 
rarely are are you ever really happy about the role that you have on a team, right? Mm -hmm. Like everyone wants something more, something different. And and so we just came off in 2003 that we won a title with Detroit. We beat LA. Mm -hmm. I was the MVP of that finals going up against, battling against Lisa Leslie. And now fast forward the next summer, you know, I'm living out my dream, but my job on the Olympic team was to prepare Lisa to compete against whatever team, you know, that we were competing against. And right. so that's the reality of that role. And, you know, we had a young team, Swin, Sue, myself, um, Diana Tarasi, um, Yolanda Griffith. I mean, our second unit was really, but we weren't going to get a ton of minutes. And that's right. just the reality of, you know, having a veteran led um, USA team. And so, you know, to, to be humble enough to recognize what that role is, but also to recognize there's real significance, uh, and purpose in that and to to really embrace that was my experience on the olympic team hmm. was it a uh, i guess were they honest with you about like they let you know like hey just so you know it's going to be mostly you know backup minutes we're going with the vets or i guess i had you was it communicated to you I think you you just know. I mean, when you look up, I mean, like if you, if you have any self awareness, and and you have you know Tina, Lisa, Cheryl, right, uh, Dawn. I mean, there's all the famers. Right? Yes, yeah. like there's a reality there. Of I mean, and they've been leading, and that was probably maybe their fourth Olympics at that time, or, or third. So, um, yeah, I mean, you knew, especially as one of the youngest players coming in, that you know, like uh, which is what I was like, that was, that was, real. but you also have to be ready, right? Cause you Definitely. never know when your number is going to be called. And right. so I think that's the, the challenge, the unique challenge of that position. Mm, just staying ready. Mm -hmm. uh, now, in addition to studio analyst uh, champion, you're also an author, color commentator. Uh, you're the vice president of the WNBA Players Union. I'm trying to, am I missing any any hats you've worn? Uh, <laughs> you're on the Presidential Council for Physical Fitness, I saw. Am I, what, what am I missing? I don't want to sell you short. You know, I've, I've just been blessed. I mean, there's so many avenues this game takes you. And I think, A, being open and creating space in your schedule for those and and recognizing, um, you know, what, what you're passionate about. For me, it was to be the best version of myself on the court, but to make sure I was using the platform of sport in a meaningful way. And so I always, every year, wanted to make sure that I was creating opportunities to travel, whether it was with the State Department, you know, using that platform of sports um, in partnership with some of our, you know, NBA Cares nonprofits with Nothing But Nets, with No Kid Hungry, um, you know, things that you know, were important to me and, and programs and initiatives that I was really passionate about and, and also giving back to the young, the next generation. Uh, and so that's something that I feel very strongly and always felt very strongly about. So you knew there was something like, even before you started playing professionally, you knew you wanted to give back in some way. I think Notre Dame taught me that early on, you know, mm -hmm. like they, they show you that intersection of sport and platform and, every athlete has the opportunity to opt into that, right? Like right. we can all be athletes with good intentions, but if you don't create space and and really make it happen, at the end of the day, you're going to look back happen. and say, what? 
I I wanted to do good. Yeah, and I, I, I think, yeah. So I think early on, I, I was very mindful of I I didn't want to have just good intentions. I wanted there to be actions behind it. Hmm. Now, of all the the roles I mentioned, uh, at this some I apologize. I'm sure I missed a few. What would you say? What was the toughest for you? Like outside of basketball, what was the toughest? I guess post playing career thing for you to either adjust to or get a handle on. You know, that's a great question. I think as a, as a player, the toughest was definitely the vice president of the union, like off the court, you know, like negotiating those CBAs and trying to, to really do what's best for the entire, you know, entirety of the league. Um, And to not feel like, honestly, you have a ton of leverage at that point. Right. Like, cause we're still building this. A very Um, young league at that point. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I think I was very fortunate as a, I knew when I was done playing, I was going to go back to grad school. And I just feel like going back to get my master's at Notre Dame gave me that buffer of transition. I think a lot of athletes, when they've done, they're searching for what's next. And I knew that what's next was taking me to grad school. I didn't know exactly what I would do after that, but I think that made that transition a lot easier for me. Right. Now you mentioned uh, nothing but nets, no kid hungry, some charitable organizations you've been a part of. Uh, at the time people hear this, you have just had a, an event in February. Tell us a little bit about that, if you can. Yeah, I've talked with the Heat uh, organization, and you know, they're really passionate about connecting with young female athletes in our community. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we've just been brainstorming what can that look like? What should that look like? And for me, I knew that had to be something different. And so when I came back to them with, with was, let's do a hoop lab. Let's take the top junior high and the top high school athletes, invitation only. Um, and let's really break down the game in a, in a different way. You know, mm. you could you can get hundreds of kids in the gym and just work them through drills. But right. I wanted uh, them to feel confident, empowered. I wanted them to feel valued that we saw them. But I also wanted them to understand the game. So what we do is we take them into the lab, what we call, we break down video as, as you would on a professional level. So we take a okay. skill set, we break it down, teach them how to see that in the game themselves, right? I think self-awareness is something that we don't talk a lot about. Right. And we don't teach young athletes how to be self-aware of things that they're trying to grow in their game. And then we take them on the court and we do kind of progressive skill development from there. And then, you know, obviously we let them play, which is which is fun for them as they get on the the heat practice court here do uh you ever jump in there like every once in a while jumping like the games and like really give them what's what a kid get too mouthy and you just have to remind them who you are every once in a while i haven't done that lately um lately okay (laughs) lately okay (laughs) um usually you know when i do camps i I will do like i'll let them play one-on-one and so you know they get you know the chance to to just attack the rim and um you know and see if if they can score which i think is a fun fun drill for them and um and i do i still my nephew's a, a freshman in high school so i have okay. a, a long-standing one-on-one game with him which he has not won yet but i'm afraid that day <laughs> might be coming soon <laughs> okay so at that point are you and be honest are you think but like you know elbows you going dirty or maybe you're all Maybe you've been playing dirty the entire time. I played in Detroit. There's... Say, yeah, you played for Lambeer and Rick Mahorn. What, what was I thinking? Uh... Yeah, no, he he's probably a better. Well, once he becomes a better shooter, that's where where it gets tough. Uh, he he can't guard me 
if I back them <laughs> down and shoot over the top. So that's just not going to happen yet. Right. Um, yet. Uh, yeah. But it's mouse in the house until he does. He's he's, he's growing fast though. When I see him, uh, you know, a couple times a year, I'm always surprised. Yeah. So you got you got to get those last couple of victories in while you can. Exactly. <laughs> uh, we won't take too much uh, more of your time. When did you know it was time to hang him up? I felt like my my body was telling me, and um, you know, you can go on, and I knew I could play more of a mentor role, and I embraced that, especially with young players. You know, just being around and being a positive influence. But I also knew that I I couldn't play to the level that I wanted to be able to compete at, and I I knew I wanted to go back. There would be a next chapter, and so you know, I was looking forward to going back to grad school and and to continuing on to see what that next chapter was like. Hmm. I also like to ask, who were some of uh, your veterans when you first, either with Miami, Detroit, whoever, who were some of your, your veterans that either kept you in line or had you getting donuts or, or whatever it may be? You know, I mean, it, we had a unique mix of players in Miami because it was formed with a dispersal draft. So we had right. some, you know, European players, um, I mean, two of our bigs were from Russia and from Germany. So it wasn't kind of that normal vet right. experience um, that they were playing in a WBA for the first time as well. Right. And in Detroit, we were just the youngest team in, in the league. I mean, we were all just running and gunning like early 20s. Right. Um, so I, I would say I never thought about it, but I, I didn't have that unique career. I mean, Sandy Brondello, who's the coach now for, for Brooklyn mm. um, in the WNBA, she was probably the vet that took me under her wing here when I got drafted to Miami and helped me understand, I mean, you know, the ultimate professional, just watching her work and how she went about her craft. Mm. I was going to say, yeah, what does that look like? Like, is like, is it distinct, you know, one-on-one sessions or is it more of just kind of watching, you know, how a professional goes about it? I think watching how they go about it, but also, you know, getting in the gym with them, right? And yeah. you know, getting the reps in. Um, seeing you know, how seeing hard they work. and The recovery, too. I mean, yeah. the, I mean, that's come a long way since when I came into the league. But just, <laughs> you know, that was something new, right? Like ice baths and recovery and all that stuff. Um, that was different. Oh, absolutely. I feel like you caught... A pretty good air, not the, of course, they've got it better now, but I feel like you caught a decent, where they were starting to kind of understand it. They're like, okay, yeah, maybe ice on your ankles and maybe it's a good thing. Or a Theragun. I was like, man, if we yeah. would have had one of those. <laughs> you mean, still be playing. You still be out there. Something. <laughs> Do you remember how much your first check was for the first time you got paid for playing basketball? I don't. That's a good question. Um I don't. Okay. Do you remember yeah. what you bought with it? Did you buy anything crazy? I don't think it was enough to buy anything crazy. <laughs> a nice dinner or something? Uh, yeah. Or <laughs> I think, you know, actually, I mean, going from, you know, the, the per diem checks that we got in college, yeah. like now I can actually, yeah. Right. Uh, I think probably, you know, getting some outfits, going to the, the mall. I mean, that was very simple, I would, right. I'm sure. Gotcha. And what would Ruth now tell Ruth at around 18? Like, what, what what advice or what tidbit would you tell her? Wow, that's a good question. I mean, 18, going into college, 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I just see the game so differently now, mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, with 20 plus years of experience and understanding what skill development could have been, um, right. you know, we didn't have that breakdown of the shooting and positionless basketball and understanding the game. I mean, I, I love seeing it now and uh, I would have loved to have been a part of that um, the system that we have now. And so I think I would have just challenged myself to see the totality of the game in a different way. Hmm. There it is. Ruth Riley Hunter. Thank you so much for stopping by the lounge. My pleasure. And thanks for all that the retired players association does. I mean, shout out to you guys uh, for all that you do connecting us, all that you provide for us uh, to making us feel like we're a part of, you know, that, that brotherhood and sisterhood that we had as players. And so just Definitely. know that, uh, that we are, we are grateful for all that you do. Oh, likewise. Uh, and know you, you, you got an open seat here in the lounge anytime. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Ruth. Bye. All right. Thank you for stopping by the legends lounge brought to you by the national basketball retired players association. Give us a follow on Twitter at NBA Legends Lounge and be sure to subscribe and rate the Legends Lounge on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll catch you next time.